Hi, I'm Sylvia and welcome to Re-Envision Health, where we explore the intersection of health, technology, and work. Today, we'll be having a discussion with Jesse Wastoff. Jesse is the Director of People and Culture for Clover Health. She is a passionate diversity and inclusion advocate with over 10 years of experience in program management and talent development strategies. Her focus is in developing equitable design and creating safe spaces for conversation in the workplace. Welcome, Jesse. I'm glad we're getting to talk today. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So tell us, what do we need to know about your work? Tell us about your work. So right now, as the head of people and culture at a part Medicare, part tech company, I'm excited to have a unique opportunity to be able to really talk about disability in the workplace internally and in terms of our members, given who our customers are. Uh, but when it comes to my work overall, I think the main things people need to know is it's their work too. And that's true with a lot of diversity, equality, inclusion, equity. It's everyone's work. It's not just the work of the people who have it in their title. And that's the number one thing I, I really try to help people understand about this work is it's not my work, it's our work. I also think that it's uh, it's both very simple and very complex mm -hmm. and it's going to be intimidating sometimes, but that doesn't mean it's not still pretty straightforward what, what needs to, where the work needs to start. And it's really more about the attitudes than disabilities. Mm. Um, or and you could say that about a lot of groups, a lot of oppressed groups, underrepresented groups. It's not anything about them. It's about everyone else. So those are things I like people to just really philosophically understand about my work. And, and I have a lot of pride being able to do that work in a, in a company and in a way where it is top of mind for people to think about people with disabilities as, as our members and as the people who we are too. So it seems like for your company, that also applies to the customers as well as the employees that they're working with. Mm -hmm. It definitely does. We, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that I would love to see more companies doing internally with their employee population. Uh, but at the end of the day, we have a lot, we're interacting with a lot of people with disabilities every day, mm -hmm. or at least, at least a good number of our teams are, right? And we're designing right. processes and products that need to serve a diverse population, including one that is not below average when it comes to representation around disability. So what are the kind of things that you guys do? Or what, what are the kind of, kind of ways that you get people to understand that it's not just your work, it's also their work. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that goes to to all, all of programming, all <laughs> lessons, all learning, all combos. Sometimes some people just need that reminder and sometimes people just need to have it explicitly said for them. A lot of people, and I think a lot of people in majority groups, in that what that means does vary. We're actually over, uh, over half of my company is women. And okay. so I don't want to make explicit assumptions about who's going to be in the majority, but there are some common, <laughs> some common <Yeah>. groups. <laughs> um, when people are in the majority, especially, um, you know, white men who are often in the majority in a lot of corporate environments, they don't know their place, quote unquote. I don't know my role. I don't know my place. I heard that more two years ago than I hear now. I think there's been a lot more vocalization of here's what, here's what you could do <laughs> like lately. So I think I've seen, I've seen some comfort or I've had some comfort in the progress I've seen there, but by telling someone and a leader, especially having them understand this is, this isn't bonus work. This is weighted in your review, for example, on the same yeah. weight yeah. as your ability to be strategic, because this is part of you being strategic. And really just calling it out from the beginning is a big, it's my number one priority, quite frankly, is the integration. 
like I, like I said, we were talking uh, before this conversation right now, if I go away for two weeks and everything, like people are flustered and floundered, I didn't do my job very well because what I'm trying to do is set you up to take ownership and have those combos and, and including with like product development, talk to me how you have a diverse focus group, things like that. So in the practicality of that, is is it that you would have someone with that kind of focus working in all your different areas or just how does that practically kind of show up? Because I could think, you know, yes. you could have an organization where, okay, that's, that's the intent, but how does that happen when I'm sitting at the table over here with the, you know, the, the product people and we're talking about our product and maybe forgetting that aspect of it? Absolutely. So there are times where you need the specialist in there. I think the easiest one for me to to identify is in engineering, Mm -hmm. in coding. It is a hard skill, like it is a technical skill. And you're either going to have someone have to go to that training to be the one like assigned to making sure that we know what we need to know and we're doing what we need to do for that technical aspect of accessibility. That's not a role that reports to me. That's a role embedded in engineering. So on that practical stance, I I have seen companies, um, not where I work now, but I've seen companies think they know but it's, it gets pretty darn detailed. <laughs> so that's where it's in that, you know, like, is, how does that rubber hit the road? That's how, like, you need the person who has that technical expertise. Uh, in marketing, for example, they need to understand color contrast. They need uh-huh. to understand that the Spanish speaking population of one state is not the same culture as the Spanish speaking population of a different state. The populations of those states are very different culturally in general, and therefore you need to be doing different focus groups, right? Things like that, yeah. helping them understand. That's that's where the embedding and making sure they have the education. I frankly would like you to hire people with this education if you need them <laughs> to hit the road running, but I also yeah. like people to grow and develop internally. So getting that, that build up internally. Where it's the hardest is the strategy, because if the tip of the top of the company is not looking for their executives and their VPs to do that integration, it will always be an afterthought at most. And when something's an afterthought, it is not executed as well. So for example, if you build your whole website without the accessibility from the very beginning, you are, it's going to be a long time before you're willing to spend the money to rebuild the whole thing again. So it's just not financially efficient to not be thinking about a lot of these things. If you do, if you do something that's not accessible, you also might get sued. I don't want that to be the reason people do something like this, but let's keep it real. It costs a lot of money to get sued. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, you know, different things motivate different people. I I do think that's a reality to, to kind of live in uh, for me personally, Mm -hmm. but that's, you know, practically speaking, you have to understand what are the technical skills that are so big enough, broad enough, detailed enough that you have to bring in the expertise to make sure it happens correctly. And then what is you need to step up as a strategic thinker because if you're missing this, you're missing other things too. That's a really good point. That is a really like, good point. Yeah. And, and culture is, culture is so specific. You know, I have a friend who is a um, diabetes specialist and she you know, talks about that, just how different cultures even feel about diabetes and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I have it because of this. That's what one culture thinks and the other culture thinks the other and the other one's feeling embarrassed. And, you know, those are really nuances to, let's say, rolling out a diabetes program. It's like, those are nuances, which populations. Absolutely. 
And it's just fascinating to me what our brain, different people's brains will naturally understand is mm-hmm. different. There's differences and in, in what people still will clump into one. Mm-hmm. And that's something I'm continuing to observe and learn, like what that means for the work that I'm doing. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. That's people still group disability as one entire group. <laughs> and I often get really specific questions like, oh, um, my friend, my friend a few years ago asked me a question about like what screen reader is best. I was like, I do, do not know. <laughs> like I have a prosthetic leg. I've, I've used some screen readers to try to test out the basics of something, you know, things like that. But I'm like, I, wow. Google will be able to help you more than I can help you for sure. And that, and I think a lot of times people see me having a disability and they assume I'm an expert on all things disability. Yeah. And that's like, that's not how any group group works. We talk about groups in, in DNI sometimes as well, but certainly as a society, we talk about groups as monoliths and it's, it hinders our progress dramatically. Now I met you first at mm-hmm. a, um, a little conference that was really mm-hmm. focused on disability accommodations and particularly hidden disability, mm-hmm. um, which, and this was a few years ago, but it really opened up my mind to how I think about disabilities, how I think about accommodations. And I think a couple of things I walked away with, one was a lot of people have hidden disabilities that we just don't know about. Mm-hmm. And it's, it. I mean, it's impacting them, it's impacting their work, it's impacting their lives. But also, you know, just because it looks like someone is really disabled doesn't mean that they need a big accommodation. I remember one woman saying that she just needed to start work a little later. Absolutely. And and people also, people, employers also worry about how expensive accommodations Uh are. And Jan, the Job Assistance Network, um, has has published information that um, they're quite affordable, quite frankly. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of them don't cost any money. I think the average was, it was either 200 or $500. I apologize, I don't remember each wow. one. Either way, if that's how much you're spending on an employee, like that's in the grand scheme of how much employees cost. <laughs> um, it is, it yeah. is not tons of money. So I think that is, that is hard. And I think that's something I found myself thinking sometimes because I don't know how much any technology costs, or at least I did now I have a lot more exposure. Yeah. I don't know how much corporate licenses. Yeah. Like I didn't know at the time. So for me, one of my questions, I'm going to be really honest is I don't know how much that costs. And when your job is to think about cost, 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 I get people getting hung up on that, Uh but they need to do better. Uh Like, I'm not going to judge someone for what natural questions come up when they're doing any sort of assessment, but like, you got to remember human beings and you got to remember reality and you got to remember to like ask, not assume, right? So I think that that does come into play with invisible disabilities. Um, I know one of of the talks, the one that I led in, in that event that you're speaking about really focused in on, on the, it's about the attitudes, not the individuals. And uh, someone can have the same disability and what they do or don't need can be quite, quite different. Uh-huh. And you're never gonna know that. And it's not gonna be comfortable for me, someone with a disability at this point in my life, it's yeah. a lot better to come and tell you what I need. But at the same time, like 
you assuming is going to be much worse. <laughs> so, so just having, you know, giving people resources that they can easily and safely feel like they can pull from is like by far my best strategy. So mm -hmm. that is like a centralized fund. That is someone that is not their manager being that first point of contact that they can ask all of the vulnerable questions that they've been probably nervous to ask. Yeah. Or they've asked so many times like <laughs> that they like could you know like it doesn't yeah. matter like not everyone's going to be uncomfortable with this so I don't want to overgeneralize there but I will say I, I think in everyone I've spoken to the first time you have to ask for anything whether related to the fact you have a disability or not yeah. it's hard in a corporate environment where you know you're constantly being looked at and you know some groups are being looked at more than others yeah. and you have to overprove yourself right it 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 creates a psychological dynamic that can be really hard. So you just got, you have to make it easy for people. You have to have the right people available to them. They have to have options so they can talk to whoever they feel safe talking to. And a visible disability, I've seen different statistics. I was actually yeah. looking this week to see what the most current numbers look like. Well, well over half of disabilities are invisible. Wow. Right. And I think one thing I, I've been bothered by uh, more recently, a little bit more, is we talk about invisible versus visible as though you can only have one or the other. I have both. And I was talking to someone at a company that's interested in uh, recently and interested in really doubling down on, on their work in disability and equity and inclusion. And I pointed that the way they're doing it now, as someone with a visible disability, as someone with both. But, you know, some like that part of me with a visible disability yeah. feels entirely excluded from the way you're managing this conversation right now. Yeah. You are saying the way you have just focused on this piece of invisible, there's this really weird, like competition that's being created uh. that is, that is comes from a place of pain and people not feeling heard and feeling like they have to scream to be heard sometimes. Yeah but is not beneficial to anyone. Because at the end of the day, what your employees need is to trust you, which requires you trusting them. Yeah. And it is harder when you can't see the tangible thing, especially for some people. That's very, very hard. I talk about this in mm -hmm. the talk I do. It is so hard for people to trust what they can't see a lot of the times. Everyone's a little different, mm -hmm. but that is, that is not uncommon of a reality. And so I have had a boss tell me like, you're fine. It's like, cool. I'm about to cry. I'm in so much pain. I'm actually not fine. So I'm, but I'm going to smile and I'm going to go back to my desk and I'm going to get like nothing done for the next four hours. This is going to be awesome. Like it's, it's, but wow. she, she was not a very trusting person in general, which I was able to like pull back and come to that for my own kind of coping of that experience. Mm -hmm. But boy, in that moment, that's not what I was thinking. Wow. Yeah. There's, there's intersections with people. People have a it's lot. It's intersections yeah. with people. Even within my disability, I have a lot of privilege. Mm -hmm. uh, it has been, someone asked me about this point blank a couple of weeks ago and, and it was funny. I was, I was kind of, it was, it was someone who, who could ask me this question. It yeah. was far from a stranger. Let me put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> a professional that I, I talk to all the time about DNI work. And I, it's something I've been thinking about in the last year, people can only see me from the shoulders up. I have a prosthetic leg. So a lot of the times people are surprised to learn I have a prosthetic leg. When we go back into the office, it's going to be emotionally exhausting for me. Oh. It's going to be emotionally exhausting to have all the new hires and the staring and stuff like that. So oh. there are some people who have probably not realized their life has been more like one with an invisible disability over the last year. And it's going to be a weird transition back to making things more visible again. It's going to be rough for me personally. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah. 
So this is why it's like different situations create different amounts of visibility. Is it is something mutable? Is it not mutable? What is the emotional cost of, of muting it? Things like that um, become very, very, very complicated regardless of whether something's visible or not, but in different ways, whether it's visible or not. But this exclusive, you're one or the other is just not, I'm starting to get more vocal about it because it's it's not helping me personally. <laughs> and I think it's doing harm to a lot of people. I do too. Yeah, yeah, I could appreciate that definitely. So. Jesse, what inspired you to get into this line of work? I worked at a company a while back for both business and personal reasons. Some of the personal ones, you know, I've, I've slightly alluded to, yeah. but I do, I just, I really do think if you have people with different points of view, you're going to get the better outcome. Feel free to like insert study here. Right. And I worked at a company at one point that I heard a lot of people stressed basically that we, we weren't as innovative as we used to be. And I wanted us as a company to succeed. And that company was, was um, really competing with like the big, like mega companies okay. in the field, right? At the time. So you really needed to take advantage of your smaller size to be agile and to be you know creative to survive. And I looked a little bit into why. And I had the advantage of having a little bit of visibility into to some things around hiring and such. And they were, they were hiring from two universities within like a three-year graduation range. Uh-huh. And so, and they were not universities that are known for their diversity, if you will. Uh-huh. And so even if they had been, you were hiring people who were literally taught by the same people how to problem solve. And so that compounding reality, I mean, I think that to me was the most important thing. One of my bigger triggers is biases related to universities. I just can't, I can't buy into that. Um, So for me, I'm like, you know, even if I loved these two universities, if they were like my alma maters for two different degrees, (laughs) one of them wasn't one of my alma maters. um, I just, I, we're problem solving here. We're trying to be a disruptor and that's not going to happen if everyone was trained to problem solve the exact same ways. So, I mean, that's probably enough on that. But for me, I, I, that just doesn't make business sense. And, and it was also destroying the diversity because of the lack of diversity of the mm-hmm. universities, so on and so forth. For me personally, I did, I've had, so my disability started with a congenital issue, mm-hmm. uh, my visible disability, congenital issue. And uh, I'm born without a bone and I have short bones in my left leg. So I have, that's why I have the prosthetic from day one. This was the thing, like, this has been part of, of my, my experience with my body. Yeah. I never talked about having a disability until I was at that company actually. And I felt like I was experiencing some pretty blatant discrimination and problematic behavior. So one of the things I don't go into as deeply in in any version of any talk I've done, uh, but I do touch upon is the, the toll of covering cannot be underestimated. If it's not a concept that's familiar to to listener, like I'd really recommend doing a little bit of research, but that kind of trying to assimilate, hide the thing that you're worried about someone thinking less of you for is real. And and it is very true. People hear about code switching language, Uh changing your physical appearance, Uh changing things like your hair and your Uh dress. Like this is, there's Mm -hmm. a lot you can read about here. Uh I worked for um, someone for three years. I traveled with them. And they did not know I had a prosthetic leg because for a very specific reason, I wouldn't say, cause it would kind of give away a little bit about who yeah. the person was. <laughs> there was, there was a relationship there where I, I did not have the safety. Right. You feel like they were going to not think 
much, much less of me. Even then I did not talk about having a disability. Mm. When I went to a company and I had, uh, I got very explicit feedback that my boss did not feel like I could do my job with my disability. That was the exact wording. I just sat there and I, I obviously it was, it was a pivotal moment. I have spent at that point, I had spent decades trying to prove I was not less because of all the societal stuff, things people close to me had said, I had spent decades and it happened anyway. Yeah. And so there's a lot of anger in that moment of what the heck have I been doing these last 30 years if people are still having the thoughts, if people are still going to think of me as less capable, the accommodation I needed at the time was four hours a week of flexibility. I talked to an employment lawyer and they literally were like, that's not even enough of an ask, I think, to count as an accommodation. <laughs> and, and that's what I was being told. Like yeah. you have one, at least one, some, like every three weeks, a second doctor's appointment a week. I don't see how you can do your job. Two months earlier, I had gotten a promotion and a, and a significant raise above average, blah, blah, blah. So this person comes in and that's their, that's their feedback on me. And I think one of the more helpful things to hear, because I think this is a trap a lot of people fall into Uh that you, you know, someone might fall into when they're talking to someone who has an accommodation need, whether related to disability, caregiving, whatever Uh is, well, I do this. Why can't you do this? So that boss said, well, I go to my chiropractor who's five minutes away and has appointments on Thursday evening. (laughs) That's fantastic for you. My situation is so complex. I have been studied. I need to drive 30 minutes away to this practitioner who is so good. He doesn't have to work Thursday nights because people <laughs> will take the time on their work week because he has a very different skill set than yeah. most you know, practitioners. Yeah. So that's something I really want to call out because it's very human. When we want, we want to problem solve sometimes. We want yeah. to problem solve way too quickly. Some of us do that more than others. That is not helpful. <laughs> that is not helpful. That is not problem solving. That is not stepping back and being curious. Yeah. So I think that to me, um, those assumptions, whether those assumptions are about like how we should be developing our technology, how we should be supporting our employees, how I can be a friend to someone, like test your assumptions a little bit before you, you know, yeah. not loud. <laughs> so I did, I did eventually leave that company I, I would um, and I, I, I think for survival, because my childhood was, was physically, I was very, very lucky in a lot of ways. Physically, it was rough. I had, I had, I had 13 surgeries before wow. I was out of middle school Wow. and a couple of them went wrong, you know? So mm. like it was, it was rough and it's, it's straight up coping mechanism. I'm not going to glorify it as anything else. <laughs> finding that silver lining yeah. is a survival tactic yeah. for some people. And it's one of mine. And I think I just had to find some win out of being treated so badly. Yeah. And for me, I wrote that first talk I did on disability that you heard. Really? I was so fed up that wow. I was like, all right, I'm a stubborn opinionated person. And wow. you just, you just did this thing. And now I'm going to go do this thing. And I'm going to shout from the rooftops. And you're not going to mute me anymore. You're going to hear me. Uh-huh. And I've done it at lots of different companies. I've been on panels at Harvard, Stanford, talking about disability, you know, like uh-huh. things like that. It, uh-huh. It's been, it's been emotionally exhausting at times, Yeah. but it's also, especially at the beginning, really freed me uh-huh. to be like, oh, look, and I wasn't fired. So 
I now, I now talk about disability when I, you know, any sort of job interview since then I talk about my disability and I actually will ask a hiring manager, have you managed someone with a disability before? That's a good question. It's a good question. I don't want to like <laughs> assume they can't handle it if they hadn't, but their reaction to that question is very telling. <laughs> very telling. That's an interesting story. And I, you know, it, it's been freeing for you, but it's also just so helpful because it's it's not a big voice out there. No, and, and I am I'm known for having a rather loud voice. So <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna have the cons of that, you might as well have the pros of that. So right. It's like I said, sometimes I, you know, I take a break and, and focus on other things where I can, you know, advocate for other uh-huh. places and simultaneously advocate. But um, every disability is everywhere. Yeah. It is in every single intersection yeah. of every single group. It just doesn't make sense why we're not talking about it. It's 20% of the population. That's a takeaway right there. <laughs> 20% of the population. <laughs> Statistically, there's a good chance you're going to have a disability happen at some point in your life. <laughs> like, just that, keep it real. That is true. I have found yep. that out. Yep. So, <laughs> I have to have a back problem. I also tell, often tell my husband, I never thought I'd have back problems. <laughs> I, look, I never it thought a lot of <laughs> I feel like every time I go to like a general practitioner, I was like, oh, come on. Like, it's just, I've, my list is long enough, dude. Like yeah. we're good, but, but the world is, you know, that's life. That's the human, the human anatomy is fascinating. And sometimes we wish it would exactly. differently, but you know, just take care of yourself. Exactly. Exactly. So um, from a business perspective, and we touched on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you talked about just having these different perspectives in business. You know, I know a lot of times when I work with organizations, there's the good we can do, but then it's like, where are the hard numbers? Where are the numbers, you know, sometimes where you have to take it up to the C-suite so that they actually believe that putting money or focus or time, whatever it is, into this type of, of effort makes sense. Do you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, when it comes to disability, it's it's a similar strategy, right? There's a lot of overlap to the strategy with any any initiatives in, in diversity, equity, and inclusion, but the, the reasons for people's discomfort are a little bit different. Uh-huh. So sometimes that comes into play. There is a, a debate that I do not see going away in my lifetime amongst DEI practitioners around why people should do this work. And what are they willing to, what data are they willing to use to talk people into doing this work? You will talk to some practitioners who do not want to use, you don't want to get sued as a legal argument because that's not what they consider the right motivation to do the work. You will talk to other practitioners who will use whatever motivation there is because they know the work has to happen and the consequences to them, it's a different kind of payoff. So for me personally, so I, I just, I want to respect the fact that we all are going to come with different points of view of like, what is the hard data and what is the thing you bring to that executive suite? Every human being you're going to interact with at the executive suite is going to also be different and be moved by different things. So for me, I do find myself more effective if I can find a personal connection to what I'm trying to advocate for mm-hmm. more so than any data could ever do. So if I know that your immediate family member is it has this experience, I'm going to talk to you about what we can do around that experience if it's something related to, to the business work we're doing. But when it comes to the data, there's a lot of data out there around retention, work output around different like disabilities. And mm-hmm. retention is actually really strong. That is a bittersweet statistic because part of why retention is strong 
is because we might know that our options might be limited due to biases during the interview process. So we might stay somewhere where we're not ecstatic yeah. because we know finding a new job will be very, very hard. I wanna call that out. However, I do still think there's a lot to be said on the positive end of that. I know if I feel like I'm respected as a person with a disability, I'll put up with a lot of other stuff <laughs> because it's so important to me. It's like, all right, I've got too many meetings, but I can like breathe about the fact that people are going <laughs> to see me in shorts, you know? Yeah. So I think that I, I don't have numbers that, but you yeah. just to go back to like as concrete as possible, talking about as many numbers as you can, there are numbers out there, go to Jan, you can see some numbers there, Jan, askjan.org um, has a lot of information about accommodations, disability in, they have a lot of information or, or some statistics there that you can use in your arguments. But um, for me, I think one of the, the ones I've actually found more impactful is this is roughly 20% of the population. And when people think about people with disabilities, they assume something so extreme that they don't understand that working could be an option. And so I've had conversations where I talk about those decisions. It's like, no, like 20% of the population is not on disability. And usually that's when someone can't work. Yeah. That's when they'll be on disability. It's, there's a lot of people who are held out of the job just because of attitudes, not because of their ability to do anything. Yeah. I, I have a, a privilege in that I can use myself as an example. I was interviewing someone once yeah. and she said, well, sometimes they simply can't do the job. Obviously I'm sitting there like, I would like to veto this candidate immediately. <laughs> but I asked and she said, well, obviously a paraplegic can't be a truck driver. And I sat there thinking, this feels like a very extreme example <laughs> that helps me understand where your mind goes <laughs> and how rigid it is and how little you understand what people uh. can do. And so for me, looking at that data that tries to debunk myths is always going to be very important. And I think it's because we don't have a lot of convos around disability, um, very impactful when you can talk about that. So I'm wow. like, oh, okay, I, I won't argue with that specific example. <laughs> However, <laughs> there are other things that a person can do. And there's, I was like, I have a prosthetic leg and I can drive a truck. <laughs> like, so uh, it's, it's definitely, you know, I, I have to laugh so I don't I know. cry. I'm just I gonna, understand. <laughs> you know? So go, go to those, talk about the realities of, of, of the people that you are, are trying to, you know, create a voice for mm -hmm. and you're trying to partner with to create a space for mm -hmm. and use some of those statistics about how much this is. And if you don't have someone with a disability helping you with your product design, uh, so Facebook, let's all love and hate Facebook at the same time, yeah. you know, pros and cons. Why was Facebook ahead when it came to being better, uh, a better tool for people with various disabilities? Mark Zuckerberg is colorblind. Hmm. That is why they have the simple design and the simple logo. And that is why when people were one of the many get off Facebook boycotts a couple of years ago, I heard, a, I saw a lot of posts by people with disabilities kind of panicking. Like this is the only social media platform I can use. Wow. And that to me made had very complicated feelings at the time because I could point to lots of things they were not doing well around DEI at Facebook, but it, it just, because of my heart, yeah. it, it really hurt me to see that. And it really hurt to see, I, 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 of course, every video that comes across my feed around disability inclusion, like I'm going to watch yeah. for technology and seeing the really cool technology they were doing and like auto creating picture descriptions and dictations and all these things no one else was doing at the time. Uh -huh. 
like it just it slips under the radar uh-huh. and and I, I think that's a shame so look 20 percent of people you know it won't, it won't be the whole 20 percent but if a lot of the population you're trying to reach literally the whole population with your product especially in that yeah. kind of extreme example they gave themselves an advantage that put people in a very tough spot a big right. community in a tough spot and for some i'm sure some people would listen be like that would be an easy decision even some people might have been in the in the situation it might have been an easy decision for me it, it was it just felt very hard and very uh-huh. complicated i didn't feel morally comfortable either way especially like i don't want to just abandon a community yeah but also like there's some things going on yeah so yeah. Yeah, it's hard. So I think, but without someone with a just, it's like I, I, to my knowledge, the founder of other social media companies, I have not heard anything about that. I, I actually still worry. I'm like, but is he colorblind? Because I hear about it so little, and I hear about their disability. I've never heard it. I know. Sometimes I'm like freaked out that it's like a, a, like a conspiracy theory thing, (laughs) but because I've never heard him say it, right? Yeah. But regardless, for whatever reason, they invested the money and continue to invest in the money on yeah. making their product actually be what they say they want their product to be. And that is a tool that everyone can use. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people understand what that means, frankly. I don't know sometimes if I understand yeah. what that means yeah. because I don't have every disability that's ever yeah. existed, right? Right. <laughs> I, I've been I've been homebound for certain periods of my life, mm-hmm. but I haven't been I, not for a decade at a time, yeah. maybe like a year. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. And it was, and I will say this depressingly, it was mm-hmm. before like even Google existed. So it, you know, <laughs> it was, it was what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Really no, no connection with the outside. No, yeah. Limited. Right. So yeah. it's, it's a, it's a very, no, I, if you don't need the tool for that, if you don't benefit from that, then uh-huh. you're not going to understand it without doing a lot of real heavy thought. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't see a lot of people, you know, in my Fred group and my peer group from like my MBA program, things like that. I don't yeah. really see people stepping back and thinking about what is our full user group. Huh. They tend to start with the biggest wedge of the pie. Yeah. And I think in a lot of cases, oh gosh, I've got the phrase. Uh, in a lot of cases, if you think about the, one of the harder wedges to reach, of your potential customers, you're going to capture all these other things. And so it's a different return on investment analysis. So in DNI, it's like, if you, if you do something that targets this intersection of these three things, you are unintentionally capturing a huge audience. So like, if you're like of these three experiences of these three, like whatever. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's, sounds and feels so expensive to so many people but if you don't really look a little bit further you're not going to know if it's actually <laughs> that much more expensive yeah like how hard is it really you don't even know if you don't explore it yeah 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 wow as far as barriers for people because you've given a lot of information and a lot of ideas about how we can start incorporating this like every day in our work and, and website. But what do you see as the barriers? Are they more, I'm going to ask this, are they more external or internal, do you think? Uh, to a company or? or... To, to individuals who are, who are listening to you today and thinking, I, I really want to learn more about this. I really want to be more engaged in this, in this space. I think it's the discomfort. Mm-hmm in having any sort of conversation for the first time. 
And piggybacking on that, it's the fact Uh that because of the diversity within this word of disability, you're going to be having conversations for the first time three years from now, 10 years from now, you know, because, you know, every human being is different. And really, I think people need to think of a lot of tough conversations that way. Like I talked about the monolith group. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not having the same conversation about ageism with everyone who's the same exact age. Like it it doesn't really (laughs) understand them as human beings, but it becomes very intimidating. And I think when I I like to frame it, like if you're uncomfortable, it's because you care and thank you for caring. Yeah. Now (laughs) what we shall do is get comfortable with being uncomfortable People assume I'm never uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable all the time, but that's how I know I'm continuing to push myself. I will, I do this for a living. I will absolutely make mistakes. I will absolutely learn and grow. And that's what we all need to do together. And I think right now it's extremely stressful for people to make mistakes because they're really spotlighted <laughs> in public uh, ways sometimes, depending on you know yeah. who you are, what your role is. And right. I think that's intimidating. And I won't really, I won't really make a, a judgment statement on whether that's a good or bad thing. Yeah. Because it's a complicated thing. But it's it's scary and it's intimidated. So just work on your discomfort and know that you're not a bad person for being uncomfortable, but know that you're mm-hmm. letting yourself down by being inhibited by your discomfort and you're letting your friends down and your peers down and your potential down by just getting frozen by discomfort because I I, it's just so much easier Uh said than done and I respect how hard it is but the thing I say is like no one no one ever died from being a little uncomfortable I like it's just it's just gonna be a little uncomfortable yeah no I'm not talking about I'm not talking about like you like full-on physical manifestation anxiety I'm talking about like you're gonna be a little uncomfortable and that's good because <laughs> yeah. that means you're yeah. stretching yourself and you'll get less uncomfortable and then a little less uncomfortable and, and you'll make a mistake and you'll feel more uncomfortable and then you'll go back to feeling less uncomfortable. So just be comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think that's true that you have a disability or not. We're going to be uncomfortable of different parts of the different conversations. If I was about to start a new job, I'd be sick to my stomach about having the accommodation conversation all, right. all over again. But I know now how to have it at this, uh-huh. you know, this career stage. And and one of the the specific things I, I always recommend as you may have known, humor as you may have been able yeah. to tell, humor is very helpful for me. And it doesn't mean I'm not taking topics seriously. It is part of how I try to de-stress the environment to have yeah. people relax enough to hear and to listen. And it is one of my DEI strategies. It doesn't mean it's always the right strategy, <laughs> but for me, it's it's related to with a show called Speechless. It was, I believe, an ABC show. I think it's on Hulu huh. still. It's called Speechless, and it was a sitcom. Okay. And there were multiple people with disabilities in that writers' room, which I knew before I like researched to confirm. Okay. Because it, it it's a family sitcom, character actors, you know that that, that uh-huh. setup and one of the the ways I like to frame it is like the normal person (laughs) is the person with the disability, like totally typical teenager. (laughs) And then every other person in the family is like such a caricature (laughs) that it was, it was really, it was just kind of fun to watch quite frankly. Um, But it's very funny. And especially the first season talks about the things you need to understand to really engage with this work and to feel like you can start to understand the context. Things like lowering standards, Mm -hmm. things like inspiration porn, like that's a real thing. And that one Mm. really triggers me. Mm. Um, I've been called inspirational for just having a job. And I'm like, I'd rather, I'd rather (laughs) be retired personally. I mean, no offense to my employer, but 
I've got hobbies and interests that would be appealing. Um, you know, rent, rent is a thing. Oh, wow. um, and, and it really talks mm. about the key things that you have to understand. And I think in a really approachable way that gets you thinking while being super accessible because you're laughing along the way at the fun parts and you're taking the serious parts seriously. Yeah. And, and I think for me, it, it make, made me as a person with disability feel more represented, feel more comfortable, feeling, I felt really empowered that I could just say like, go to this, yeah. go to this thing. So please go watch Speechless season one, if nothing else. Well, this is, Fantastic because they have like there's TV, there's there's video that we can watch, there's stuff we can read, there's organizations. I love this. I love this. I love giving people like especially and even even me, you know, just being able to just to share like some ways to for us to kind of strengthen in the area. We have a last two questions okay. for um the podcast. But before I get there, I just want just want to kind of echo actually a little quote that I have written up here is that vulnerability is the greatest strength of the human condition and mm -hmm. I have that just for the same reason you know it's like every day we're vulnerable we're out there and just to keep it in mind it just requires vulnerability so Jesse if you weren't doing what you're doing what would you be doing now you just talked about retired but what, what would you be doing <laughs> Uh, I'd be gardening and playing with my dog. Uh, no, I I would probably I used to own an art gallery and I would ah. I would love to do that again in my career. I would love to do that. We we uh, especially because all of our artists were artists that would not be able to get into the uh, very rigid structure of the traditional gallery art gallery. Mm. Or, brought on board for the the talent that they displayed not where they had previously shown so even in my like wow. <laughs> fun happy thing I'm like no <laughs> you know like it, it was it was a really fun thing and I, I would definitely own a gallery again and probably volunteer at a, at a museum oh that would be fantastic mm -hmm. that would be fantastic yep. the last question something we'd like to leave everyone with with is what is the one thing that you can that you suggest we can do today I know you're giving us a lot of suggestions, but we had to just pick one thing today when we finished listening to this podcast to start being more engaged in this space. What would be your kind of go-to suggestion? It's going to be Watch Speechless. All right. You're going to start thinking in ways you haven't thought yet. Excellent. Well, thank you. They should start paying me commission. <laughs> you have an affiliate deal. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much. This has been really an enlightening conversation. I'm so glad I had the opportunity to talk to you today. Well, thank you so much. It, it was a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening today. This podcast was edited by Terrence of 1015. That's T-E-N-O-N-E-F-I-V-E.com. Notes for this podcast, as well as any websites and links that were mentioned today, can be found at reenvisionhealth.com. And please, if you liked what you heard, be sure to share this podcast or tell a friend.